just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. We've got preliminary election results and some decisions on school closures. Salt Lake Tribune columnist Robert Gerke joins me for a breaking news roundup before we take a long weekend. It's Wednesday, November 22nd. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Robert Gerke, we're making a tradition of this. It's 10.30 on election night. Hello. Hello. We've got to stop meeting like this. It's a, it seems like every year at 11 o'clock, we try to read the tea leaves and figure out what the hell just happened. But Ships in the election night. This is certainly the coldest election day we've had in a while because it's the latest in the year we've ever been at this. So With postponing the elections two weeks, it's like we're you know voting in the dark now and still in the dark, even though it's uh, we've had results for two and a half hours. Still don't know where this is going. Yeah, in part because we're, we're, we are uh, playing with ranked choice voting in Salt Lake City, and we'll get there for sure. But first, we got to start at the top of the ticket. Congressional District 2, Republican Celeste Malloy has been declared the winner, her biggest competitor in this race. Uh, Democrat Kathleen Reby has conceded. And the Associated Press called that race in about 30 minutes. She's our first woman in Congress now since former Representative Mia Love lost re-election in 2018. What can we expect from a Malloy administration? Yeah, I think we probably could have called this one back when she won the primary. I mean, the way these districts are gerrymandered now, it it almost doesn't matter. Uh, Kathleen Reby ran a good race. She was a good candidate. But, you know, it's a 20-plus point Republican edge in that district, and, and it holds true for what we saw tonight. As far as what we can see from, you know, what we can expect from her, I think what's the most interesting about her is she's from Southern Utah. I mean, that's where her roots are. And so that's kind of unusual. I mean, when you look at the representatives we've had in the past, you mentioned Mia Love, you know, we've had Jim Matheson's, we've had Chris Stewart's, all these people are from urban areas along the Wasatch Front. Um, And so I think she brings a a different mentality to the House, Uh, even though she came up through Chris Stewart's office. She's, you know, so there's, there's, you can kind of get a sense of where she is politically. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of culturally, at least in terms of Utah culture, that, that she might bring a different mentality to the House than, you know, we've seen in the, in the House for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I think one of the most interesting things about her is that she's Eamon Bundy's cousin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we're yeah. going to talk about culture. But I mean, Chris Stewart basically handpicked her to be his successor. It worked. Yeah, it showed the power of a good endorsement, frankly, because she wasn't really all that well-known coming into the Republican primary. A lot of people called that an upset. I called that an upset, frankly. And, you know, but you also look at this district and and a lot of the votes in the district, the majority of the votes in the district aren't on, you know, in Salt Lake 
Tooele or, you know, Davis County. And you saw her beat Becky Edwards that way. And you saw her running very strong. I mean, incredibly strong in Washington and Iron Counties. Not surprising, but also very hard for a Democrat to overcome. And I think that's, again, going back to the gerrymandering, that's part of the strategy, right? You put the urban votes in with these rural votes, and it, it makes it an insurmountable task for any Democrat, really, whether it's Kathleen Reby or whomever. So, um, yeah, so there there was some talk, frankly, that because Republicans want to get as many Republican votes back in D.C. as they can, I heard last week that she might be uh, inaugurated early before the election certified. So they were really counting on this coming into tonight. I don't know if that's still the case because they passed that budget resolution to kind of continue government operating for a while. But at least last week, there was a lot of talk that she was uh, potentially going to be inaugurated before they'd counted all the votes. I mean, you mentioned that Becky Edwards was in this race. She is a candidate who has become almost synonymous in this state with trying to run a moderate Republican in a conservative district to sort of like, you know, moderate our Mm -hmm. representation. It didn't work. People in St. George and parts of Salt Lake City, as you mentioned, now share a representative. Yeah. Is this a conservative representative or is this a more moderate representative? I think she's a pretty conservative representative. I mean, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Becky Edwards trying to channel the Republican moderates, but there just aren't that many of them, particularly in this district. And it's going to be, um, you know, again, it comes back to who can win the Republican primary so many times uh, that the general just sort of is an afterthought. And as you mentioned, they called this race so quickly after polls closed that it is, it kind of shows that the general election in November, the votes matter. I'm not going to tell anybody that their vote doesn't matter, but mm, do they really matter that much? Uh, The votes that are taken in the summer in the primaries seem to be the ones that so often decide these, the outcome of these elections. Yeah. I mean, the thing about this race that I find to be disillusioning is just the turnout. Like it's low, like very few people were interested in voting in this race. Part of that, I have to wonder, is because, again, as we mentioned, you and I are having this conversation two days before Thanksgiving. Normally, we're doing election night in early November. The date, our election date in Utah was shifted back to give more runway for this special election. How much did the legislature's decision to do that, in your opinion, impact the turnout that we got? Right. We're supposed to be brining a turkey and making pie crusts now, and we're talking about elections. That's supposed to be in the rearview mirror. Um, I think it had a pretty significant impact on on the turnout, and we saw it low all across the board. I mean, the numbers that we're going to talk about in Salt Lake City are kind of remarkable, really. You know, a few thousand votes decides who's going to be the next city council member in the capital city of the state. So, um, yeah, I think I think moving it back definitely depressed turnout. It was interesting because on election day, you know, the election day that everybody else had uh, nationwide. They saw this big spike in people turning in their ballots because they didn't get the message that, that, oh, election day, they've got two more weeks. So the people were turning in their ballots two weeks ago. And then there was this huge, huge drop off and, you know, very few for two weeks. And now we see this this latest surge, but still, I mean, a pretty pathetic surge, all things considered. Yeah. You have to wonder if there are people waking up this morning and being like, oh, yeah, I I did vote in that. Well, yeah, it's hard when, you know, when you've got these off-year elections, there's a lot of people. I mean, I don't know how many races you had on your ballot, 
probably two or three tops, right? And so it's sort of hard to get really excited about when, you know, there's just not that many issues for you to choose from. You know, maybe you don't care about your water commissioner, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I think I think it's partly natural that turnout's going to be low even in the best of years, but this was not the best of years. Yeah. Or you live in a in a district where you kind of like everyone on your ballot and you're you're good with the result. <laughs> Let's get into the mayor's race. I don't think I would characterize this Salt Lake City mayor's race that way, to be clear. I think it was pretty contentious. Um, again, we're ranked choice voting this year in Salt Lake City, so things are a little uncertain still. Um, no one's called it at the time that we're recording, but Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall has a pretty good lead over contenders Rocky Anderson and Michael Valentine. You, Robert Gerke, have been pretty confident that Mara and Mendenhall would win re-election. I also called it in our prediction show in January of 2023. Um, were there any moments, though, where you thought we could get a Rocky Three or a Mara Valentine? You know, I think it's hard because there's not been any polling in this race. So you're going strictly by gut feeling, word of mouth, talking to your friends, the lawn signs. And yeah, I mean, I felt like there was a lot of energy behind Rocky, to be honest. I mean, he did a good job of trying to make this a referendum on Aaron's response to homelessness and affordable housing. And it seemed to be working for him. I think Aaron had other vulnerabilities too that he didn't really exploit, but there he he really hit on those. If anything, at this point, if this margin holds, which it it may not, uh, as we're talking now at quarter to 11. Um, I'm surprised that she won by as much as she did. I thought this was going to be a much closer race, to be honest. But again, without good polling to go on, you're just kind of trying to read tea leaves and get a feel from the people you talk to on the street about, you know, how they're feeling about the mayor, how they're feeling about Rocky, you know. Um, but yeah, in the, in the last few weeks, a lot of the, of the people I talked to, friends of mine, you know, and so forth, they just were saying, you know, I think maybe Maybe I'm going to go with Rocky. And it's, it's, it was a little surprising, but so is the fact that she came out so strong. I mean, her campaign feels really good about the numbers right now. And I would, I would be happy to call a race, but uh, we'll, we'll wait until <laughs> the votes are counted at this point, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Rocky Anderson and Michael Valentine are both have been very gregarious is maybe even too tempered a word candidates. Like we've seen Michael Valentine show up at debates he wasn't invited to and, and get in the mix. We've seen Rocky be really aggressive in his approach. Like he's brought the rage, right? What the Solid Tribune editorial board asked for fire and focus. I mean, he showed up with fire and fury in this race. Before we move on, it felt almost Trumpian to me, right? It Mm. felt like he was trying to do this, you know, paint this hellscape portrait of Salt Lake City. And I think when it comes down to it, people looked around and said, yeah, maybe I don't like how many homeless people there are, or maybe there, there are th- I don't like how much construction there is. But at the end of the day, that wasn't enough. There wasn't a vision there, I don't think, for him, you know, where he could say, okay, if you elect me, here's how I'm going to fix it. Um, you can't just go scorched earth and, and expect people to fall in line between, you know, behind somebody who's painting this very bleak picture of the city they live in. Yeah. Well, and I think perhaps he thought the administration that he led for eight years when he was mayor was an alternate vision for the city that was being offered. The problem is, I mean, we have people on our team who were babies when Rocky was the mayor of Salt Lake City, right? (laughs) Who produced this show. And so it's just, I think it's also, there's a lot of time between when he was in the driver's seat and now. 
And it was really evident when you went to his events and you saw the people who were working his tables versus the people who were working Aaron's tables. I mean, they were they could have been the grandchildren working Aaron's tables, you know, the grandchildren of the people who were working Rocky's tables. But, you know, one of the better points I heard, you know, Rocky's trying to appeal to both wings. You know, he's trying to attack Aaron, you know, gain ground with conservatives for being too soft on homelessness. And then he's trying to gain ground with the liberals, you know, the young liberals who think that she's being too hard. And it's just sort of like he was he was both wings of the turkey and Aaron was the, the middle. Right. He's the everything that she isn't candidate. Yeah. yeah, and that's just a hard picture to paint. I mean, this was Salt Lake City's first mayoral race using ranked choice voting. We'll probably learn if anything went terribly wrong in the following days and weeks. It's too early to know now. But do you think this is something Salt Lake City voters should expect to be using in every municipal election going forward? You know, I I like ranked choice voting. But I also heard a lot of people who are confused by it. And and part of Aaron's campaign tactic was you don't have to rank all three. You can just rank one, you know. It so far doesn't seem like it's going to have a big impact on any of the races, either the mayoral race or the council races. I think it makes a lot of sense in terms of saving money and, and sort of the efficiencies that you get there. I think it makes even more sense if you have six or seven candidates when you only have three and really two main candidates. And then we talked about Michael Valentine, who did, you know, surprisingly well, but was not a factor in the in the final result. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have the same benefits when you have that narrow of a field. But I think if you have more candidates in the benefits are even better. I think the race was probably, it wasn't reflective of the proponents of ranked choice voting say, well, it, it makes the race more civil. They talk about the issues. And I'm not sure that we necessarily saw that play out in the mayoral race, at least. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting because, you know, two years ago in the municipal elections, we had more than two dozen cities who were interested in using ranked choice voting who chose to use it. This time we had cities like Sandy, you know, big cities. Um, that had used it before and decided not to use it again. Citizens were kind of lukewarm on it. So I don't know that it's necessarily taking off the way that, you know, proponents hoped and, and the way that I kind of expected it to. You know, we'll see what happens in a couple of years. In a couple of years, in Salt Lake City, at least, we're not going to have a mayoral race on the ballot. So these city council elections tend to be a little bit less congested. And, you know, maybe the benefits of using ranked choice aren't, aren't necessarily there in that case. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. 
What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Well, let's get into the city council races. So the only one that we can confidently call right now is District 2, which is the west side of the city. Alejandro Puy ran unopposed, and would, <laughs> I would like to congratulate him on his win. <laughs> yeah, it was a close one. It was real nil by yeah, right? sure was... Listen, we're all up against ourselves, you know? That's life. Um, <laughs> in District 7, we've got Sarah Young, incumbent, but really only by a couple months because she mm. was appointed in a not even a special election. Will we call it a special decision by the city council to fill a seat that had been vacated? Um, she and Molly Jones are, there's only two in that race, so we won't employ rank choice there. It'll just come down to who chooses between them. In districts four and district six, we had three candidates each. What are you seeing there that's interesting? I thought this District 6 race was fascinating because you really had, you had Dan Dugan, who was a first-term you know, incumbent. That's typically the most vulnerable election that, that an incumbent has. Hmm. And he was really hit hard by Tamar Simnani for you know, these issues dealing with density and housing. And then he also had uh, James Alfandre, who was a developer, who got a lot of developer money that poured in. Um, I kind of was... Curious to see if Dugan was going to be able to hold on. And frankly, the one thing that surprised me about this one, if we go back to the ranked choice voting, is that the votes split evenly. When Alfandre dropped out, the votes split fairly evenly between Dugan and Simnani. Yeah. And in fact, Dugan actually gained a little bit of ground, which was not what I would have expected. I would have expected that, you know, okay, if we're not going to vote for the incumbent, we're voting for a challenger, mm -hmm. then your default after that would presumably be to go to the other challenger. But it just wasn't the case. And it looks like Dugan's going to hang on to that one. Um, you know, we don't know how many votes are left, but it's going to take a pretty major swing in that one for Simnani to have a shot. So, yeah, it looks like Dugan is going to yeah, win re-election in that one. Yeah. And then in the 4th District, I mean, that the 4th District one was fascinating because you had Ava Lopez, who was a, a young, up-and-coming politico, uh, very embedded, a steep in the Democratic political machine, mm -hmm. and taking on an incumbent who, you know, had been there for quite some time, had in real no liabilities. I mean, she wasn't unpopular. She didn't have scandal or anything like that. But it, right now, if the numbers hold, looks like Ava's got a lead. We'll see if it holds up. You know, and then you had Clayton Scrivener, who is a buddy of mine, and I, he ran a race that was just sort of like, let's give people a different choice. And again, one of the fascinating pieces about this is when Clayton was eliminated, the vote split almost exactly evenly again yeah. between the two other candidates. So in Salt Lake City, even though we use this ranked choice experiment, it seems to have really not had much of a bearing on, any, uh, on the outcome of any of the races. 
No, it was like a practice round for all of us. A practice round, a warm up. <laughs> yep. If I had to say which of these council races is the most interesting to me, it would be the District 6 one that you brought up, which is basically the East Bench. Just because, to your point, it really does feel like a referendum on density in our city, Mm -hmm. specifically getting the east side of the city to embrace density, which is something that I think Councilmember Dan Dugan has asked of his district. And Semnani, as an opponent, was saying, absolutely not. I'm the no way in hell sort of candidate here. And it's going to be interesting to see what people make of that. Like, I always wonder if people who are reticent to an idea, when they see that their neighbors are actually maybe more open to it than they thought they were, themselves become more open to it. You know what I mean? Like, like, could the East Bench be ready to put a little bit of this behind us then and look at, I don't know, Embracing missing middle housing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and that's the thing. We weren't talking about huge density on, on that east side, but it was like any density was sort of, uh, Semnani seized on it as a way to sort of say that Dan is trying to undermine our neighborhoods. And I, and I think people from the results that we saw tonight didn't think that was the case. And so maybe that gives Dan a little bit of more uh, latitude in the next four years mm-hmm. to sort of work toward sensible density in in that part of the uh, of the city and it's something that it needs frankly i mean you know single family homes everybody loves them everybody would love to have a single family home but it's not the practical solution and and you can't just have one part of the city pulling all the weight when we're talking about affordable housing it's got to be a citywide commitment so um it was it was uh i don't know if a referendum on affordable housing is necessarily the best way to put it but there there were elements of that certainly yeah Well, let's talk about school closures. I mean, it feels like it's a completely different topic and also so knit into this idea of how our city is going to grow and how it's changing and what kind of city we're building for. I mean, the Salt Lake City School District's new superintendent, Elizabeth Grant, presented to the Salt Lake City School Board recommendations for school closures, which is certainly not the end, but maybe the climax of this school closure boundary study process that we've been in that's been really controversial and frustrating for families and teachers and everyone. The recommendations are to close next year Hawthorne Elementary School in the Liberty Park neighborhood, Benyon Elementary School in kind of central city, downtown-ish, Mary W. Jackson Elementary School in Fair Park, maybe Guadalupe neighborhood, depending who you ask, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. Riley in Poplar Grove. So kind of like one in the middle, two on the west side, one on the east side. How are you thinking about this? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where we saw the Avenue's neighborhoods become really engaged in this. And, you know, save Wasatch, save Emerson, save Wasatch, save Emerson, the back and forth there. Honestly, the school closure issue, in my mind, is is sort of a symptom of the larger problem that families can't afford to live in those neighborhoods. And it goes back to the issue we were talking about with density, where until, you know, you can build all you want, but if they're one-bedroom, two-bedroom condos or apartments, you know, that's not someplace where you raise a large family that's going to send their kids to school. So until you get a hold of, get your arms around that issue, you're going to continue to see the trends in these school populations decline because you just can't live there with three or four kids, you know? Um, So it's a temporary reprieve. I don't think that there's anything to indicate that the numbers are going in these school districts are going to change. And it became an issue in the election and in the mayor's race in the sense that, you know, 
what are you going to do about it, Mayor? Well, I'm going to try to get some families in there. And, and, and if there's going to be this opposition to density that we saw in District 6 that we talked about, um, that's going to be a really hard lift. So, you know, there, there are more fundamental basic issues that I think are surfacing in, the, in this discussion about schools and, and enrollment at these schools. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that Building Salt Lake editor uh, Taylor Anderson pointed out that this recommendation to close Benyon Elementary School in Central City, that would be closing the last elementary school in Council District 4, which is kind of where we're building all the new housing right now. Mm -hmm. So it Mm -hmm. really does, I mean, put us on a bit of a tread line for who we're building this city for in the future. And Yeah, and you're going to end up in a situation where are we going to be busing kids from District 4 all the way to Emerson? I mean, there are some fundamental issues that need to be addressed. And this is doesn't this school closure plan doesn't address them all, but it, it's you know starting to take them seriously. I mean, you can't keep schools open when they're capa- they're at thirty forty percent of capacity, but at the same time, there needs to be a longer term strategic vision about okay, where are we growing? Because we are growing on the west side, you know, we are growing in di- in that area in District Four that you're talking about. So, what are we going to do about that? Not next year or in five years, but in ten or twenty years. I mean, you said it, not me. The B word, busing. That would certainly feel like a backslide. All right, Robert Gerke, before I let you get some rest, we have a tradition on our News Roundups (laughs) on this show. It's called Pick of the Week. It's when we share something that we're just really stoked about that's local in some way. I'm going to go first so you have time to think of yours, and then I'll ask you, okay? Okay, my Pick of the Week is three Christmas bars that you can go to on Black Friday. (laughs) Um, I have... Three Christmas bar recommendations in the city. Flanker over at the Gateway has opened their holiday pop-up. It absolutely looks like Christmas barfed. Like someone's mom got out their Christmas box, opened it, and everything just jumped out and threw itself on the walls in there. How fun. You can swing by that. It's open um, on Black Friday. Acme, formerly Campfire on 21st. Have you been there to Acme since they took it over? I was hoping you were going to say Acme because I I went in there last year when they had just taken it over and there was so much. There was pink tinsel and lights Uh everywhere. It It was out of control. They have a whole, last year they did a whole wall that was just bows. We'll see what this year brings. But their grand opening of their holiday pop-up is going to be Black Friday. And then I got a wild card, which is I went and had a drink at the bar at Tuscany, that like kind of kitschy but really upscale Italian restaurant in Cottonwood Heights. And they are already decked out for Christmas in a way that feels almost like like a holiday theme. Like it's a total turn inside there. So that's my pick. Local Nog. What about you? All right. Well, so my pick, I'm going to stick with our election theme, I think. And and so we talk about, you know, Mayor Mendenhall winning another term. We talk about Rocky serving two terms, et cetera. Um, West Jordan City, which is one of the larger cities in the state, right, is Apparently, it looks like for the first time going to re-elect a mayor for the first time since 1977. And so, yeah, since since I was just in diapers, you know, I, this is going to be the first time that they've actually sent the same person back to City Hall. It's unreal when you think about that kind of turnover and what kind of consistency can you have with a, a, a city that's, you know, every four years you know, you got to change the nameplates and the business cards. So Dirk Burton looks like he's he's on track. And so we'll uh, continue to watch that one. But I think uh, West Jordan, you're going to you're going to get your first two term mayor in, in my lifetime. 
I love the idea that like we are coming out of a contentious mayor race that was wanted us to believe that the people of Salt Lake City are terribly disgruntled. Meanwhile, in West Jordan, they have been disgruntled for half a century. <laughs> Taking throw the bums out to an art form, aren't they? Yeah. Robert Gerke, always a joy to spend election night with you. I love that we're making a tradition of it. Good night and good luck. <laughs> we'll see you in a year from now. Sounds good. All right. Take care. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our executive producer is Emily Means. Our producers are Ivana Martinez, Dylan Brogan, and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria, and our host is me, Ali Bayarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria with additional music from All the Kimonos. We are off Thursday and Friday for the holiday, but we'll be back Monday morning with more from around this city. Take good care.